0: The the time that even with believers, Jesus kind of gets pushed aside, right? Because we've got meals to to, to cook. We've got goodies to bake. We've got all the pageants and the plays that we need to get to. And we got to take that second mortgage out on our house just to make sure everybody gets exactly what they want for Christmas. And at the end of it all, another Christmas has come and gone, and all you have to show for it is a house that's very messy, and you got a bunch of uh, wrapping paper, and you got a visa bill that goes through the roof. And an Elsa wig. Every year we think we got it under control, but it just doesn't happen. When Christmas Day is come and gone, we wonder, why can't we enjoy the season like it was meant to be enjoyed? Why can't we just... Let it go. Amen I uh, told this story a few years ago. It was a few days before Christmas, and these guys that were neighbors, they decided rather than to go Christmas shopping with their wives, that they would go they, they lived on the coast and they were going to go sailing. But as they were out there on the Pacific Ocean, an, an unexpected storm surprised them, and, and before long, the, the sea grew angry, and the, the two had a difficult time keeping the sailboat under control, and so they, they, they decided to put into harbor. But as they did that, they, they hit a sandbar, and, and they, were just, they were grounded. So they jumped out of the boat, and it was into this freezing water, and they begin to push and, and shove in an attempt to get the, the sailboat into deeper water. And now they're knee-deep in mud, and, and they're being bounced against the hull of the, uh, of the ship with all these waves that are just hitting them time after time. And one guy looks at the other and says, Huh, sure beats Christmas shopping, doesn't it? Why, why do we come to this amazing season of the year and we get so stressed out and we get so hectic and we get so rushed and we get so hurried and we get so broke trying to do everything that our culture says we should do? Today, I want to encourage us as a congregation to actually make some decisions in our life this year that, that actually would say we will live counter-culturally. We're gonna We're gonna take some steps in our life to stop the Christmas madness. And, and, and I know that for some of you, it feels there's no way that I'm able to step off of this treadmill. But I believe that that's a lie. I think that we can. I, I believe that we can learn to put our foot down when it comes to our culture, demanding what we should be doing around this time of year in order to just take some time to, uh, to realize and appreciate this amazing time of year. If you look at the biblical account of Christmas, you'll, you'll realize they had a crazy time too, man. I mean, it, it, was, it was not the, this calm scene that you'd see on Christmas cards anymore. That, that's, that's a lie as well. It was not a peaceful time at all. It was, it was really, really crazy. Chaos, complexity, conflicts. What we read of uh, is, is very similar to what you and I go through today. But even through that crazy, people like Mary and Joseph, people like the shepherds and the magi, they were actually able to let it go, let it all go in order that they might receive a blessing that comes from being part of an earth-shaking story. So this morning, I think we need to learn to let it go. I know I do. I'm preaching to myself here at this point as well. Something that my family would tell you, absolutely, Trey needs to start slowing down, to let it go, to look past the chaos, to defy the commercialism of our culture, and, and to seek a way to end conflict that so many of us face during a time that should be filled with love and joy and peace. And I believe that if we can learn to put our foot down, that we'll actually be able to guard against becoming frozen In our hearts, the way that our culture is going there. You see what I did there? Okay. Three things. First of all, I believe that we need to let chaos go. Let it go. Let chaos go. Early on, Mary must have realized that what she was going to be facing, what was ahead of her, had potential for great joy and also potential for great problems, her culture was not as tolerant as ours when it comes to unplanned pregnancies. What would Joseph say? He was a kind man. He was a righteous man. But was he going to actually believe her? How long before it would be that she began to show and that people would begin to start talking behind her back? How long would it be before they shunned her from being a part of the, the, the synagogues and, and, and the religious life because she had disobeyed God? Questions, concerns, fears, anxieties, chaos, chaos. But instead of launching into full panic mode, what Mary does is pretty significant. She chose to take some time to visit her relative, her older relative, uh, Elizabeth. And we don't know if that was her aunt or her second cousin. Uh, The the, the Greek word could be a, a lot of different female relatives, but Elizabeth turns out, as this old lady, she was also miraculously pregnant. And though this was going to be a hard trip, about 70 miles, so think from here to like Crescent, um, being pregnant, being a, a young girl, kind of on her own, um, Mary saw the wisdom of slowing down the racing of her heart, the racing of her mind, and somehow finding peace in, in, in the time of chaos. We're going to be in the book of Luke and then in the book of Matthew today. So if you go to Luke chapter 1, we read of her decision to travel down to see Elizabeth starting in verse 39. At that time, Luke tells us, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. You know, Mary's relationship with Elizabeth and her decision to take some time To be with Elizabeth is actually very eye-opening to me. In my mind, this is a time where Mary is processing what is going on in her life. She's sought out a lady who would understand, a lady who could give her support, a lady who could give her counsel, and there was no rush at all. It's funny, when you take some time to not be rushed, when you actually make a decision to just pause, just even for a moment. It's pretty amazing the blessings that can come to your mind. Just this last weekend, uh, Jenny and I went to go see the new Mr. Rogers movie, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers is a hero of mine, and uh, I, I, I love the man, and I, I want to be like Fred when I grow up. Um, But at one point of the the movie, he goes through a a, a discipline with this man that he is working with about just being quiet. They're they're in a cafe, and he says, would you just be quiet for one minute with me? He goes, I I like to do this, and I like to think of the blessings. And he's talking about the people that are in his life that are blessings. But uh, I, I wonder, have you ever done something like that, where you take the discipline to just be quiet for one minute? It's pretty hard to do. I want to do it right now. Let's do it. Go. Start thinking about the blessings in your life. be willing to bet that that's the quietest that some of you have been this month because of all the things that come in chaotically in your life and take over the way you go and the way you respond to what's going on in in your life It says in luke chapter 1 verse 56 that mary stayed with elizabeth for about three months and then returned home there was no rush Take that one minute and just multiply it out for three months, just of resting, relaxing, getting, letting the chaos go, surrendering her schedule to God's schedule. Pregnancy before the official marriage was not in her timing, and so she'd be confused and wondering how this is even going to happen since she has never had any kind of relationship with a man. But Gabriel brings it back to God and his timing, his plan for her life there in verses 35 and following. Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Gabriel says that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow you. Can you imagine what that would be like that amidst all of your chaos, that the shadow of God would just be right there hovering, letting you know that he's there, that he's got this, that you don't need to to, to get frenzied. You can let it go and let God take control. Folks, I, I, I promise you that when you do that, there will be blessings. Mary responded, understanding those blessings in verses 46 and, and following. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant, From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Folks, at a time that she could have said, me, 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 I, 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 this is going to affect me horribly. By pausing, she was able to say, oh, this is a God thing. God, God, God. God. God is doing this. God is going to be at at work in my life. God is all about her relationship with her heavenly father, trusting him. See, folks, God cares about your health. When you read the principles of scripture, God gives us guidelines about how we treat our bodies and our brains, because ultimately, when we have health, he is glorified. God says to his people, follow my ways so people can watch your life and know that you are a blessed people. So let me ask you this. So far, how have you taken care of yourself this Christmas season? If you could eliminate an activity or two, what would those be? Would you be willing to do that? Uh, what, What can be done about the stress of the fear of being judged because your house isn't perfect? when company comes? How how, how do you cut back so that you're not always so tired that you snap at your kids and you don't enjoy the people that you love the most? See, those are the kind of questions that I'd love for you to begin to ask yourself about. I, I, I want you to get answers to the questions like that now before we go on with this Christmas season. So you gotta let it go. Let chaos go. Number two, you gotta let commercialism go. There's a story about a woman who was out shopping in the mall, kind of last-minute Christmas shopping, and there were crowds. You, you, you know you know the crowds I'm talking about. Standing, in line, She was tired of standing in lines, fighting her, her way down long aisles to find that toy that had been sold out days before. Her, her arms are full of these bulky packages, and she's waiting for the elevator, and when, when the door opens, she realizes that the elevator's all full, and everybody kind of grumbles as they try to move aside so she can get in there. And, and, and as, as they're all now in this tight space and the door's closed, she just, she loses it and blurts out, whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be arrested, strung up, and shot. Some people nodded in agreement. A little voice in the back said, don't worry, they already crucified him. Christmas used to be about Jesus used to be about Jesus. Now it's about stuff. used to be about celebrating the gift that God gave to us. Now it's about the, the, the presents that we want, the stuff we are going to get, the, the, the things that we want to have so that we can have a better life. And we complicate things because we have bought into the commercialism of Christmas. We, we forget that it was supposed to be so simple. You remember Charlie Brown Christmas? And Charlie Brown gets so exasperated because of all the commercialism and he goes, what is the real meaning? And Linus had to drive him back to scripture, to the simplicity of God's plan, to get rid of the commercialism. Well, look at chapter 2 of Luke. Listen to how simple this is. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. You can't get much simpler than that, folks. A baby. A king born in the barn. The long-awaited Messiah, the anointed one, cradled in a feeding trough for barnyard animals. No, no pomp, no prestige, no party, no Black Friday sales on frankincense and myrrh. Simple. So why do we complicate things? by chasing after stuff, trying to keep up with our neighbors, demonstrating a sort of discontentment for all the things that God has given us that just a month ago, remember, we were thankful for? Remember that, just a few weeks ago? Oh, God, thank you for all these things that you've given to me. Now I want more. See, that's what this is all about. That's what commercialism uh, brings into our life. It complicates things. We need to let that go and, and begin to think about our stuff differently. When I say contentment, what does that bring into your life, into your mind? The way I see it, contentment is very rare these days. A lot of Christmas culture revolves around making you discontent so that you'll go out and buy things to make your life better. But I got to tell you, when the angel delivered the message to the shepherds, the package that he told the shepherds about didn't seem like very much. Starting up in verse 8 of chapter 2, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. This will be the wrapping. You will find a babe wrapped In cloths and lying in a manger. Ever see the video of the kid who opened up his Christmas present and began to scream and cry, saying, This isn't what I wanted? (laughs) Most of the religious leaders that Jesus would encounter during his ministry would say essentially the same thing. This was not what we wanted. And the shepherds could have reacted like that as well. A gift of a baby in a manger may not have been what the people wanted, but it was exactly what they needed. So far from feeling slighted, they had a much different response when they saw what God had brought to them. There in verse 15, when the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the babe who was lying in the manger and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. Folks, when we live with discontentment, our lives will either be miserable, miserably empty, because you don't have the things that our culture says you've got to have in order to to be fulfilled. Or you get trapped because you go ahead and buy those things and now you're a slave to Visa or the MasterCard or Discover. And then things get tight at home and things get a little rough and you, you get a little cranky because now it's harder to make ends meet. Why? Because you're not free anymore. Why? Because you weren't content with what you had. Why? So that you can then go buy other stuff. <laughs> and it's miserable. Letting commercialism go will free us up from that trap and will give us the strength to say, like Paul said in Philippians 4, uh, I know what it is to be content. I have learned what it is to be content, whatever the circumstances, because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. So you got to let chaos go. you got to let commercialism go. The final thing that you got to let go is, is conflict, and this is the biggest one I know. Why? Because I'm in ministry and I talk with you and I, I hear your stories and I hear where you are at. I'm always saddened when I hear that Christmas is so filled with strained relationships where you, you are just filled with tension and anxiety because mom's coming over this year and she is never happy. Or your brother that you've not spoken to in years. Um, your, your, your wife has invited him and his family over. Uh, Where where there's strife between siblings, strife between uh, parents and and kids. That's not the promised peace on earth that we read of in Luke chapter 2. Which brings me to this question. If we want peace in this world today, why isn't there peace in this world today? And not just conflict in the world, but conflict in our own lives. Feuding between our neighbors over politics. Conflict between spouses and children. Why do we experience even unhealthy relationships and conflict in church? God gave us the answer in James chapter 4. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, it's the other guy. It's him. No, that's not what James says. What causes fights among you? Don't they come from your, your, your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Do you see how many times you is brought up there? It's it's an issue that we have to deal with. Scripture points out that conflict starts, conflict starts where love does not live. Conflict starts where love does not live. Love, godly love, selfless love love. Love that's more concerned about the other person. That should be the love that we understand at Christmas time because that's the love that God showed us at Christmas time. But because I've been wronged. Oh, because people are are, are listening to, are are not listening to my ideas and I feel unappreciated. I'm not going to care for you. I'm going to have this wall between you and I and conflict abounds. Boy, if anyone in the Christmas story should have been in conflict, it would have been Joseph. We read of his story a couple books back uh, to the left in Matthew chapter 1. Here's a man minding his own business, a righteous guy minding his own business, when all of a sudden the news comes to him of Mary, his intended, his fiance, of her unexpected pregnancy. A pregnancy that he had nothing to do with, by the way. We begin in verse 18 of chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Does he have a right to do so? You bet. According to the Jewish law, he had every right to end the engagement. But not only that, he had a right to do it in a very public way. To demand justice and revenge against a very public hurt and betrayal of his intended. But doesn't the Bible say something about revenge somewhere? Oh yeah, how about... uh, what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Folks, this is not, this is not about you protecting your home or your family because nobody's ever died from getting slapped in, in the face. This is about your pride. Your pride is at stake here in in, in this. And and we would want revenge for somebody to come in and and step all over our pride. We're going to get them. And Jesus says, let it go. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. Don't hold on to it. Let it go. And if someone cuts right in front of you in Walmart, in the parking lot, where you'd been circling to find that space, and you finally did, now, I'm not trying to equate parking spaces and, 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 and Joseph's betray, the, the, the betrayal that Joseph would have felt here, but here's my point. Um, my, my point is, is that no, no matter to what degree, we all find it very hard to give up our pride. When you're talking about real deep issues, it, it's, it's very interesting what will set us off. So how can we let this one go? How can relationships that have suffered for literally years, how can they experience healing? Well, you and I know that, first of all, it can only come from God. The power to heal relationships can only come from God. But it comes from God bringing his power into a life that is willing to submit to the power of God. See, there's, a, there's a, a responsibility that we have as God wants to bring his spirit in and, and mend these relationships. We have to allow that to happen as well. So let me give you a few ideas from Jesus' own teaching about how we can begin to have a pliable heart to allow God's power to come in. Number one, I believe that if you have a conflict with somebody, the very first thing you should start to do is to pray for them to begin to pray for your enemies. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That concept came from my mom a long time ago. She says, Trey, if you have something against somebody, start to pray for them because it won't be too long before you've been praying for them, but your heart actually begins to soften towards them, and you actually really do want God to do something in their life. And all of a sudden you realize, I don't hate this person anymore, because you have given them up to God to let him deal with them. Secondly, after you begin to pray for them, I I think that uh, a great thing to do is to begin to serve those with whom you're in conflict. Romans chapter 12, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I love this concept. I used to think, yes, I'll kill him with kindness. I'll make them feel so bad that they were so mean to me, and I'll I'll do this, and I'll heap burning coals on their head. Ha, that hurts, doesn't it? That's not what this means. You, You do a study in the Bible about burning coals, and you will find out that coal was used as a purifying agent. Isaiah, when he stood before the Lord and saw him in all of his glory, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. So the angel that was around the the throne of God took tongs, went down to the altar, picked up a burning coal, and touched his lips, Isaiah's lips, with burning coal, and said, Now you have been purified. See, burning coal is a purifying agent in the Bible. And so what Paul is saying there is that when we choose to to serve our enemy, for those who who have something against us, if we continue to serve them, God can use those acts of kindness to purify them so that maybe their heart will change and become a, a follower of Christ as well to see that kind of power. Lastly, I think that you, and this is the hardest one, you you, got to give up your right to revenge by forgiving, by forgiving those who have hurt you. Uh, An Amish woman was quoted to say, when I think of forgiving, it doesn't mean that you have forgotten what has been done. It means that you have released to God the one who has offended you. And you have given up your right to seek revenge. That woman was the mother of one of the five little girls who were shot to death by a man named Charles Roberts in a one-room schoolhouse in Amish country, Pennsylvania, who then turned the gun on himself and shot himself committing suicide. On the day of the shooting, a, a grandfather of one of those murdered girls was heard telling his family, Listen, we must not hate the killer. We must not think evil of this man. Another member of of the Brethren community who lived near the Amish community said, "I, I don't think there's anybody here that wants to do anything but forgive and to reach out to those who have suffered. So the Amish community members actually visited and comforted the gunman's widow, his parents, and other family members. One man would even hold Charles Roberts' sobbing father in his arms for about 30 minutes, just consoling the man over the death of his son and the horror that he had caused in this community. You, you, you wonder why, how they could do something like that. Historian Steve Dolt he has spent several years studying the Amish community. Somebody asked him how they could do that. He gave this insight that I... I find amazing. He said this. He says, forgiveness requires giving something up. Giving up your right to revenge. Giving up your feelings of bitterness. For the Amish, that means it's like so many other aspects of their life. Because all of Amish life is structured around giving things up. It's, it, it's, it's all about self-surrender. Nolte goes on to say, I think that for many of the rest of us, forgiveness is hard. Because we think it's unnatural. Because it's so unlike anything else that we've ever done. We are trained to never give up anything. But for the Amish, it's hard to forgive. But it's not unnatural. It's not unnatural. Talk about letting go. Man. For those of us who follow Jesus, the Bible is clear. We must learn to trust God in situations where true justice can only come from him. Paul tells us in Romans 12, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, one of my very favorite verses in the Bible, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My friends, believe room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so for us, forgiveness will be hard. I'm not trying to sugarcoat it at all. It'll be hard, but I pray that it becomes part of our new nature so it becomes not unnatural to forgive. Honestly, this will be the the hardest thing to do for many of us, but I believe it's the key to freeing us up from the frozen hearts that our culture has tried to force us into. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. And this is not one of those sermons where there's going to be a lot of come on down to to Jesus. Although, if you would like to to know what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus, you're always welcome as we sing our closing song or afterwards to come forward. If you have prayer issues, prayer needs, we do have a team that would uh, meet with you in our prayer room here to your left. And they would love to, to hear what's going on and stand with you in prayer. But right now, I'd invite you to stand up and, and to maybe begin to make a commitment in your life this Christmas time, this year. What's it gonna take for you to let it go? Do You need to buy a wig in order to, to, to do that? I don't know. We're halfway, We're halfway through the season. Christmas is coming. And we have now a chance to slow down, to simplify, and to seek peace. And let me tell you, if you can do that, God's blessing awaits for you. Because we're looking for peace and joy and love. Everybody's looking for peace and joy and love. That's what this whole holiday season is about, is peace and joy and love. Watch this. You learn to let chaos go, there's peace in your life. You, you learn to let commercialism go and the discontentment that makes you want more, you'll all of a sudden be more content with what you have and there will be joy. Joy. And you begin to learn to forgive and to to let go of the right to revenge. And all of a sudden, God's love begins to permeate your heart. And there you go. God's gift to you, peace and joy and love, are waiting for us.